life. It was 1978. It was August, as a matter of fact, of 1978. Jane and I were in the thriving metropolis of Muncie, Indiana. Now, Muncie, Indiana has two claims to fame. It's the home of Ball State University. It's also the home of Ball, Mason Ball, Glass Jars. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't have a copy of the set of notes, raise your hand, we'll get you a copy. There are a lot of notes today. Don't get caught up in all the notes. and We're going to get through it. So you don't have a set of notes, just raise your hand and they'll make sure you got it. Down in the front, beside you, okay. Keep your hand raised. I was invited to uh, make a journey from Muncie to Omaha, Nebraska. When we arrived in Omaha, we were greeted by a warm group of people, and they uh, were very kind. Met us at the airplane, and then they ushered us very quickly to a church that was going to interview us to be the new um, associates in charge of youth. I got to the church, and much to my dismay, the church was in shambles. And the church had been in shambles for the better part of three years. The church had been hit by a tornado. When it went through, it ripped the south, west, and north walls of the church off. And for the almost three years, they had worshipped with a tarp over the walls that weren't there. You all know how much I love heat, and you all know how much I love cold. And Omaha has both extremes. The pastor's office, Mike's office, was the Taj Mahal compared to Pastor Walker's office. Everybody was crammed into. The secretary was down the hall in the back three rows of the church, and that was her office. She had the whole sanctuary. Pastor Walker had this four-by-six little cubbyhole. I walked in, and I'm trying to absorb everything. And he has a plaque on the wall. It was a uh, defining moment for me. I am 13 months out of Bible college at this point. I am nine months new married at this point. We have been in our first church. We are now being invited to go to our second church. And here's the plaque. It's on your notes. There is no telling what God will do if He gets all prayed. And I'm going, Pastor Walker, and your, your church is in shambles. It's been in shambles. I mean, it's just, it is, excuse me for a minute, it was a hellhole. And people kept coming. Amazing. People would show up to church. Air conditioning, it was whatever was on the outside. If it was 28 degrees, it was a little warmer than that, but not by much in the middle of December and January. If there was a blizzard that came through, I was there on Sunday nights in, in January, right after we accepted and came. Snow was blowing through. The, I'm just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and of course, we were too spiritual in those days to cancel church. <laughs> and then it would get summer. 
stinking hot in the summer. There is no telling what God will do if he gets all the credit. See, um, Mike was very kind in the screen this morning to put on you. It's all about worship. There's one, there's one more phrase that needs to be added on to that. It's all about worship. Stupid. <laughs> you know, let, let's take everything and for a minute kind of make it as small as possible. It's that guy that I'm talking about this morning who says, Oh, yes, I believe I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a Bible reader. Do you ever read the Bible? No. <clears throat> and it's all about God's economy in my life. Do you tithe? No. <clears throat> but I'm a gold medal winner. I won with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my goal! <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn to uh, the Old Testament, Second Chronicles. Once again in the Danny Thomas Study Bible, that's page 439. I'm going to set the scene before I start reading. It's 750 years before the birth of Christ. The place where this verse and these verses take, find themselves being played out is in the southern kingdom called Judah in the palace city of Jerusalem. There's a man that is sitting on the throne. Those of you that have been around with for the walk through the Bible, it's 0 and 8. There are no godly kings in the northern kingdom over a span of 220 years and a span of 340 years in the southern kingdom after the kingdoms divide, after Solomon sits on the throne and then they divide over taxes. There are eight men that serve God and know God who, who set themselves up to be men that rule and reign in the land as godly men. This biblical story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is about one of those godly kings. His name, Jehoshaphat. He's one of eight. His commitment to rule is what makes him great. I begin to read in verse 1. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Now just stop for a second. They came to make war on the king. It's not on the kingdom, and it's not on the city. This is really personal. You want to know how personal it gets? Some men came and told the king, Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. Matter of fact, they're coming against you in such a way that three days from now, they're going to be knocking on your bedroom door. We're all leaving you and have a great life. A vast army's coming against you. Alarmed! Ta-da! Alarmed! Jehoshaphat the king did something unique 
and not expected. Oh, that's not in your scripture, is it? Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast. The whole nation fasted. The people came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of the nation of Judah, in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple of the Lord, in front of a new courtyard, and he began to pray. How often is a crisis a surprise? Most, I don't know about you, but most crises in my life were surprises. I didn't get there because I knew I was going there. It was just a, where did that come from? Did you ever have, you know, work with me, people. (laughs) It's one of those without warning. If if you had warning, you've been prepared. It's seldom as a crisis when you know that it's coming. Here's the setting, everybody. Three nations that they had never settled and made peace with from their grandfathers, their great-great-grandfathers, the forefathers who found the promised land. You know, the fought with Joshua. Joshua put the bed in a little chair. Yeah, we did that last week. Okay, those guys never settled it with these three kingdoms. And now, hundreds of years later, the three kingdoms decide that they're going to band together and they're going to wipe out Judah. They had been nursing hostility. They had long memories of how they had been slighted by these Israelites. Anger, jealousy, it was point of boiling over. That's normally what happens in a crisis. Something happens because of something that you did or didn't do in somebody else's life and they pick that day to make it right, at least on their part, right? A crisis without warning. A surprise. A vast army, verse 2, a vast army is coming against you. A vast army. The king does something that, that changes the course. It's a decision moment. It's a decisive moment. It's a moment where you would think people are going to panic. I mean, there's, there's, we're way up. There's a whole lot more of them than there is of us. I know some of you, and I know how some of you react to crisis. Some of you want to cover up that there was anything going wrong. How you doing today? Oh, just great, Pastor. You're lying through your teeth. <laughs> Some of you say, oh, I'm so bad, I'm just going to give up. So some cover up and some give up. <laughs> what do they do with that brown paper bag and put your head between your legs? And... What's that called? Yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> so some want to cover up and some want to give up and some would just want to go... And then there's others of you that just want to deny that there's a problem at all. 
what Jehoshaphat does. His response is, I'm going to inquire of the Lord. That is the turning point of an entire crisis. He didn't give up. He didn't cover up. He didn't deny. He doesn't panic. He stops and says, I'm going to inquire of the Lord. See, the crisis isn't about what you do or you don't do. It is about what you're prepared to do. It's not what you do or don't do. It's about what you're prepared to do. In the first few moments when a crisis hits, when your back is against the wall, and again, I know I'm only talking to maybe one or two of you outside of me here this morning. You know, if somebody said, you know what, there's a vast army and they're coming against you. Mike? Get the guns. (laughs) Call off the military. Get the Navy. Call on the Air Force. Go to the emergency management preparedness group and tell them that we're going to have a crisis. (laughs) Now that would make sense. Especially the larger the crowd gets, it makes more sense to call on people that you know will show up and be there. Gary, get the army. (coughs) (coughs) Jehoshaphat does something that goes against every strain of human thought and behavior. He tells the nation we're going to come and we're going to pray. Common common sense would say, don't waste time in getting people together. Call the army and let's go. (coughs) There's no time to pray. It's time to fight. Okay, for those of you that skipped prayer and went to fighting, and you all know the crisis and the moment uh, that the Holy Spirit has just put in your heart when it turned out to be an entire fiasco, I've already told you. So how'd that work out for you? Oh God, let's, 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 I want the captain of the host and all the armies of the Lord and we're just going to whack him. We're going to whack him. I want you to uh, listen as I read some verses. It's a, it's a prayer. It's an amazing prayer. It's It's simple. It's direct, it's faith-filled, and it's just... Here is a king. A king. What kind of authority does a king have? Unlimited. What kind of power does he have? Sign it, seal it, it's done. He turns around and says, number one, make it so, and everybody goes... O Lord, God of our fathers... Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stand, withstand you. O God, our God, do not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. Isn't that what you said you would do? They have lived in it, built in it. They built a sanctuary, and your name is on it. 
They even have said, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Do you get God's character in there? God, your power and might, it's all in your hand and there isn't anyone that can withstand that kind of power. It overrules me. It overrules my smugness, my self-satisfaction, my, oh, I, I, I got it figured out. I'll just work harder. I'll get some more hours. Did you get God's promise? Did you not drive out the inhabitants? Did you not promise that this land was going to be the descendants of Abraham's forever? God's character and His promise are always wrapped up in how we handle crisis. You can handle it on your own. You can handle it because you made a promise. Now be honest, how many of you have ever made a promise and broke the promise? Have you ever made a promise to yourself? I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to do. I'm going to be a really good dad. I'm going to be an excellent mother. I'm going to be a fabulous grandparent. And you set about doing it all on your own. You can stand up with Elvis and sing, I did it my way. simplicity of what was going on. The single request of the morning is, God, aren't you going to judge these people that are coming against me? One request. One complaint. Look, God, look at, look at how these people, I've done good for them. I've been great for them. I've helped them. Look how they're repaying me. They've conspired. There's a whole team and they're going to they're gonna kick our tails. But I like what's wrapped up in the middle of the prayer. It's in verse 12. God, we need you to judge. Aren't you going to judge? And there's, there's this admission. It's a, it's a fabulous admission. We've got no power to face the vast army. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are fixed on Sometimes I think when we get down to pray, we get involved in the mechanics of prayer. We want everything to be right, so we have to we have to make sure we say the right words, and then we got to get the right voice. You know, you know, you know, the God voice. Oh God! <laughs> we humbly beseech you today. <laughs> We, your people. <laughs> get involved in the mechanics. We're going to have the right form. We've got to get the right words. We've got to make sure it's the right length. Don't want to pray too long. God's really busy. We've we got, we got to keep it, you know. You know. Uh, we, we, but then, well, should we stand, sit, or kneel? Do you open your eyes or do you close your eyes? Oh, you can't talk to God if your eyes are open. 
and, and you have to. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've got to have the right phrases, you've got to say them in the right way. Because it's all about how we look when we pray. I think God is more interested in what's on the inside than what's on the outside. I think He's looking at, is there any faith behind any of those words? Have you really put me in a position where I can work, says God, or is it just a really good form? Oh, God. (laughs) Was there any honesty and sincerity in what you said? Because I understand that the Bible says He hears the faintest. Now, I like to get excited. Newsflash to all of you, isn't it? (laughs) But I honestly think some of the most spiritual moments of my life is when I couldn't say anything. And I couldn't walk and I couldn't stand. And I couldn't sit. I couldn't pick my head up. I was paralyzed in the moment. And all I could do was call on his name. See, I think this prayer, it's not long, especially for a king. But it's said from the right place at the right time because of a right heart. God, we have no power to face what's attacking us. We don't know what to do. Boy, that's a huge admission. If you take it for a king, uh, but make it personal for a minute. God is just waiting for you to say, I've got no way to fix this, and I've got no strength to fight this, and I don't know what to do. When was the last time you stood before God said, I don't know what to do? (laughs) Hey, God, I got 14 ways you could work. Hey, God, here's, here's how I need you to answer my prayer. There's an interesting response that comes. The assembly of people gathering that have heard the king pray, and the king says, Oh God, have no strength. We're going to get wiped out. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are fixed on you. Verse 14 says, And then the Spirit of the Lord came. It came upon Jehaziel. Now, now, there's a, a lineage here. Um, I'm going to stop preaching and go to meddling for a minute. It's an aside. I'm going to step away from the platform and I'll move so I, everybody can see me for the next couple of minutes. If you have never prayed and said, God, I just need a word from you. And then Sister Hoopenbecker shows up. And you don't have the biggest idea who she is or where she's from or anything about her. And she says, I have a word from the Lord for you. And you go, hey God, I don't need third class mail. (laughs) You know, I don't need somebody that looks at nothing and says, oh. The word of the Lord came that day from somebody that was known to have been a voice of God in the past 
whose words have been tried and tested and known to be true. And he speaks and the nation listens. Did y'all get that? <laughs> don't be listening to Sister Hoover that you don't know that says they've got something for you when they have no idea and you have no idea have they heard from the Lord or not did they have pizza last night to turn bad on them during the middle of the night okay God does have people who, who are in tune and hear but the whole deal here it's, there's, there, it's, it's, it's very specific that it, it runs the lineage so that everybody knows that this guy was not some strange whack-out who just, he was somebody that was known to have been used of the Lord prophetically, used of the Lord to be truthful, and used of the Lord to be right on, and he speaks and they listen. Amen. Amen. That might have been the best thing I've said in five years. Amen. And here's what he says. Listen to the king. Everyone who lives in Jerusalem and in, in Judea. This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because of the vast army. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because of the vast army. Get the next phrase. For the battle is not yours. It's God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They're going to be climbing up from the pass. You're going to find them at the end of the gorge in the desert. You'll not have to fight the battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord that what He's going to give you. In Jerusalem and Judea, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. The battle isn't yours. It's already the Lord's. The battle isn't yours. It's the Lord's. Tomorrow, about this time, you're going to meet your enemies. The vast army that's already against us. Are you kidding me? We're going to go. Take up your positions and don't fight. No, wait a minute. If I'm going to go, at least I'm going to go out swinging. Stand still and see the salvation. My question is, whose battle is it? If it's your battle, you're in real trouble. <laughs> if you take ownership and say, Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> you are in a world of hurt. But if it's the Lord's battle, and He's already assured the victory, it's His. It's His. Your position is to stand and watch Him. Not say, Hey, God, let me fight for you, and then you come in when I get wiped out. <laughs> The next couple of things that happen is Jehoshaphat bows to the ground and the people of Judah follow and they begin to worship. And then there's a group of people called the Levites and they stand up and praise. Worship and praise took place in the same atmosphere, in the same moments. What's worship and what's praise, what's it doing? I can't tell you. I've been around this thing my whole life. I can't tell you. I only know that when I begin to worship God, lots of times praise happens. And when I begin to praise, lots of times worship happens. And it's all about worship, stupid. It's all about us saying, okay, God, if you want me to praise, I'll praise. If you want me to worship, I'll worship. What's really interesting is the next morning when they get ready to go fight, now, now we're told, and I'm not a military strategist, but I've read a little bit about it, and here's what I understand. If you are in a weak position, the best offense is to surprise them. 
Go at them and surprise them. <laughs> okay, so here's this army that's much smaller. It's called the army of Judah. And they go up and start saying, you want to hear? <laughs> Give thanks to the Lord <laughs> for his love endures forever. <laughs> No, 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 no. I want my best prayer warriors. Man, if I'm going to go into a battle, I want destiny right there in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I want dusty, and I, I want all the guys in the church to go ahead. <laughs> I want people to know how to fight in the spirit. <laughs> no, the king says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put all of the worshipers in front. And we're going to give up our strategic surprise moment and announce to them we're coming. So not only does he stop and pray, now he gives away any advantage he might have. And it starts first with the praisers and the worshipers. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. Every step they took, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. It's a whole choir. And then the choir becomes an army. And they're going up the hill. Fifteen guys that went with us yesterday. How'd you like to be saying all the way up that hill? Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. <laughs> I could hardly breathe. I can whisper. Give thanks to You know what I think? I'm going to go back to a phrase I used last week. They determined to finish. We lots of times get in the middle of it and say, Okay, God, it's your... I'm out of here. We don't determine to finish. We don't determine to, to go to the end. They were determined to see what God could do. I think they were pretty amazed. God's going to do something for me? Sure, I'll just hang around and see what He does. Now, in the middle of all of this, give thanks to the Lord His love endures forever. The Bible says that the Lord began to set ambushes. And on that day, everybody that went out to make Judah a victim because they were going to get the victory, they all lose their lives that day. Judah doesn't fight one fight, doesn't throw one spear, doesn't fling one sword, doesn't fling one uh, arrow, doesn't use anything. And when they arrive, because of the ambushes, that took place. Victory is theirs. It takes them three days to gather up all the plunder. And at the end of the three days, they stop, they go to the Valley of Praise, and they praise. Then they bring everything back to Jerusalem, and they praise again. See, if you're ready to praise, you can praise before the crisis, you can praise in the crisis, and you can praise after the crisis. I got a whole lot more in this message, and I'm almost done. Here's what I think we need to do, and this is, this is a pastor moment. I think you've got to admit how helpless you are. Your condition is the condition of helpless. The Bible doesn't say, when I'm strong, then he shows up. No, the Bible says, when I'm weak, he is made perfect in my weakness. When I don't have it, he's got it. I think we've got to start complaining about where we are and start praising about where he's taking us. 
something we need to stop and stand and then see. And begin to see that he's ambushing some of the enemies. Because I understand that the Word of God says he gives help to the helpless. He delivers those that are in bondage. He can make your ways better than you've ever dreamed of. If He can put a baby in a manger and then make that baby the Savior of the world, what can He do for you? What can He do for you? What can He do for you? There's a song we're going to close in just a minute. There's no telling what God will do if He's going to get all the credit. On one side of my life, I am so pleased that God has chosen Grace Place and defined who we are to be the hub of this community for so many to get food. And on the other side, I'm scared to get it. Because I hear all the time people saying, well, it's Danny's food bank. It's not my food bank. It's Danny's church. Who's church going? I go to Danny's church. I learned a long time ago, 1978. That would be 34 years, I think, this month. There's no telling what God will do if He gets all the credit. I don't want any credit. Don't you dare. Don't, if, you, if I hear you say, I go to Danny's church, I'm going to look at you and go. <laughs> I, I get when people come in and they say, thanks, pastor, and blah, 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 blah. And I take it like once, and after that, no, it's not anything that we do here. It's everything that God does for you, and we just show up to let Him do it. I don't want any credit. I don't want any credit. This isn't Danny's church. This is God's church. This isn't Danny's food bank. It's not Aaron's food bank. It's not Charity's food bank. It's not Mike's food bank. It's not Jocelyn's food bank. This isn't any of their church. This is God's church. Here's how we're going to close. It's all about worship. Stupid. That's not the song. 